0: You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with Pastor and Teaching Elder Adam Vinson. So today's message is titled "Enduring the Discipline of God." Um, comes from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 7 through 11. Um, just a little introduction here to our time. How did we come to this passage? Um, Last week, Marcus taught on sanctification, um, and what we will be looking at today has a lot to do with our sanctification, so there's some connectedness there um, between what Marcus taught on and what I'll be sharing with us today. Um, I'm also in my own personal study time in the book of Hebrews, Um, so this was kind of a natural flow for me to teach on, since this is something that I've been already studying and, and digging into. Um, So there's a good connection there as well. Um, This text also, um, we'll discover, speaks a lot to our identity, who we are, who God says we are, um, in a world where um, many others would like to say, this is who you are or who you should be. Um, This text today speaks to who we are, um, and there's some promises and truth there that we can cling to in terms of our identity. Um, this is also a sneak peek into what's next for us. So right now we're in the book of Revelation, um, and the plan is for us to move um, into the book of Hebrews next. So um, you kind of get a sneak peek into the book of Hebrews, chapter 12 here, so um, something to look forward to, a little a little taste test here of the, the book of Hebrews. Um, there's a lot of weightiness to the passage that we'll be looking at today, um, and I don't feel qualified to speak to um, the trials and sufferings that many of you have faced um, because I haven't been there with you, um, but I think what we'll see today is that each of us as children of God can relate in some way um, to enduring the discipline of God. Um, so uh, while some of you have uh, been brought through heavier times, um, deeper scars, um, we can all relate to this as the children of God. Um, so this is kind of an introduction to how we got to this passage here today. Um a little context on the book of Hebrews. Um so the audience of this letter are Hebrew people. Um they're in different um groups, groupings of uh where they are in terms of being believers or not. So we have some um people that this letter is written to who are Believers who have um, turned away from Judaism and who are following Jesus, but who are also experiencing a lot of persecution. We have some Hebrews who are kind of in between. They're hearing this truth about Jesus, not sure if they um, are um, ready to trust on it. Um, They're also seeing the persecution that their brothers and sisters are going through. They're probably experiencing some of that persecution as well. And then we have. Hebrews who, um, who, are, who are not converted, who are still sold on uh, Judaism. Um, so this is kind of the audience of, of who Hebrews is written to. Um, and in the midst of that, the Hebrew uh, families who have chosen to believe on Christ are experiencing heavy persecution. We'll see that um, in uh, an earlier section of the letter to them. Um, so that's kind of the audience that this letter is written to. A key word in the book of Hebrews is better. Um, so if you've ever uh, read through Hebrews, you see in the earlier chapters that Jesus is always the better. Um, he's better than angels. Um, he's better than um, Moses. He's uh, better than the law um, that were even given. And so throughout the book of Hebrews, Jesus is better. So a key word there is better. And we'll see this morning how God is the better father than our earthly fathers um, are. Um, So we come to uh, chapter 12 in Hebrews. Um, This is right after chapter 11, which some of you might know is the Hall of Faith. We have several Old Testament folks who um, are written about and all the different circumstances that they've endured, that they've gone through, how their faith has been proven through all of that. And then we come to chapter 12. Um, Chapter 12 kind of comes back to the audience of the Hebrews and exhorts them to endure in the same way that all these Old Testament heroes have endured. Um, And then right after that points to Jesus himself um, in considering him and looking to him and what he has endured. Um, So I want to read uh, once more here for us uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 7 through 11. It is for discipline that you have to endure. That we may share his holiness. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Um, Our summary sentence today. Believers can find great comfort in trusting the promise that God the Father purposefully uses the difficult circumstances of life. As a means of conforming his children to the image of Christ. Believers can find great comfort in trusting the promise that God the Father purposefully uses the difficult circumstances of life as a means of conforming his children to the image of Christ. This is about recognizing that God our Father is conforming us through the discipline he brings in our lives. We should be enduring this discipline as dearly beloved children of a faithful, loving, protective, compassionate, and sovereign heavenly father. This is really about understanding what discipline is and the mindset we're called to have while enduring that discipline. Um. So my prayer for us, as I've been getting together um, and studying to to bring um, this text to us today, is that as God's children, we would go from trying to escape his discipline, from being fearful of his discipline, from being confused or uncertain about his discipline, or from feeling beaten down by his discipline. And that we would go to receiving his discipline with thankfulness. That we would go to trusting him more fully while experiencing discipline. That we would go to being comforted by the presence of God's discipline in our lives. Um, so the first point for us um, is to endure the discipline of God as something to be valued. When I came across verse 7 in chapter 12, it was very puzzling to me. It says, it is for discipline that you have to endure. So in order to receive discipline, you have to endure. And I couldn't understand why in the world I would want discipline. To me, discipline's always been associated with you're in trouble, like you got to go to the principal's office, you're going to be disciplined, or uh, mom or dad wants to talk to you, you're in trouble, it's time for you to receive your discipline. So for the text to say it is for discipline that you have to endure, I don't know why I would want to endure to begin with in order to receive something that I don't want. And so that to me, I think is where a lot of us find ourselves is, why should I want this? Why? What is discipline to where it is something that I should want? And that's what I want us to understand more fully here today. So let's get a better understanding of what discipline is. Um, the first thing for us to understand is what discipline is not. Okay, um, Discipline from the Father is not judgment. Um, don't miss this because this is very important. I think a lot of believers out there still wrestle with the Um, the idea that God is still placing judgment on them for their sin. Um, Some important text for us to turn to, so if you'll go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So it starts off with there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It says, We've been set free from Christ we've been set free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Further down in chapter Romans, in Romans chapter 8, 33 through 34, it says, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? It's a rhetorical question because the answer is nobody. Nobody can bring a charge because God is the one who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. It's done. It's finished. This is an important truth for us because if we're not careful, we continue to live as if we're still paying for our sin. But we all know that our, our, our good works are seen as filthy rags to God. We can't offer anything else. And when we live in light of, of, uh, of the thinking of that we are still paying for that judgment, we're saying Jesus' sacrifice wasn't enough. There's still more to be paid, which downgrades his sacrifice, which none of us want to do here. So the important thing for us to to realize to begin with about discipline is that it's not judgment. That has been paid for. That is done. That is finished. And there's no more condemnation. There's no more payment for it. Christ did it. It says, who can bring a charge against God's elect? Who can condemn? Nobody can. Um, So believers are not under God's judgment. His discipline towards us is not judgment. So what is discipline from the Father? Discipline from the Father is for our correction. So this is where we'll kind of define what discipline is. So um, if you look up the Greek definition of discipline it sheds just a lot of light on what discipline is Um, and it's something that as we go through the rest of our time here together this morning I'm going to try to replace the word discipline with words like training instruction teaching because that's the essence of what the word discipline means you can find it um, in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4 It says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So it's this raising up of a child. It's this forming, teaching, training. So for the rest of our time together, let's understand discipline in that way, not discipline as um, you're being called into the principal's office or you're being called into um, the living room to talk with mom and dad um there is punishment that we'll see that is a one aspect of discipline but that's as parents we know sometimes that's called for with our kids to punish them but that's not the only thing that discipline is and from a holistic perspective it is that training up that teaching that that forming um that a parent does with a child um so i'm going to kind of uh go into some different steps here. I'm going to start with the purpose of discipline. So underneath this definition of what discipline is as as correction, uh, the ultimate purpose that we'll see is for our sanctification, right? Just as I I mentioned earlier, this is very connected with what we heard last week when Marcus brought um, uh, the teaching on uh, sanctification from Colossians. Ultimately, this discipline, this correction is for our sanctification. Uh, Romans chapter twelve uh, verse two talks about us being transformed. It says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Second Corinthians chapter three verse eighteen talks about this same transformation. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So think about discipline as this transforming, as this sanctifying. There are many words that we could put in here. Don't just think about it as this punishment, this um, you've done wrong, you deserve type of setup. It is much more than that, and it's a holistic perspective on raising a child and what all that takes and and requires. All right, so what about the source? Where does discipline come from? Who's doing the teaching? Uh, Verse 6 in uh, Hebrews chapter 12 says, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. God is the one who's doing the teaching. He is the one who's sovereignly forming us and raising us up. He's the one using the circumstances of life to shape us, to sanctify us, to transform us. So what form does this discipline come in? Um, I'll go ahead and say I can't speak to all of the forms. There are things, ways that God works in our lives that we can't fully understand or comprehend. Um, And so if you think about each of your own situations, you can probably attest, you know, a handful of purposes of what, of why God's doing that in your life. But the reality is, is that there's probably thousands of, of reasons and connections to what we're experiencing. Um, so I'm going to speak to a couple here. Um some of the circumstances of life that God might use to, uh, to instruct us or to, to grow us could be related to health issues. So, physical pain, disease, injury, or death. Could be connected to persecution or deception or criticism. Could be tied to close relationships that we have, marriages, uh, friendships, family. Could be related to your job or to school. To your finances, to transportation. Could be any number of things externally, but what we know is that those things that happen externally almost always end up internal. We're wrestling with them, which is another way that God is growing us up. Could lead to fighting against temptation, fighting against frustration. Fighting against emotional pain or disappointment that you're going through could be tied to worries that you have or fears that you have. For me, in my um, in my life, it's tied to my day to day battle against my flesh. It's tied to me um, fighting against seeking the approval of others and seeking to only find the approval of God and my thoughts my actions, and my words. It's tied to me on a daily basis, seeking to protect my family from my own sin, my responses to their sin against me. That is me. That on a day-to-day basis, that's my wrestling through and being trained, being formed and shaped. Uh, I mentioned in our group that a great example for me recently was tied to the shoulder surgery that I had back in December. And the physical therapy that I experienced. And learning to enjoy, well, I'll say learning to embrace the pain. Um, Because in physical therapy, if you're not experiencing pain as you learn to reuse something, you won't fully get the use of that arm or leg unless you go through the pain. The pain is what gets you to the point of having the full use again. And there were many times laying on the table being stretched out that I was, the only thing I was saying to me is that this is progress. This is progress. Through the tears, through the gnarly faces I'm sure I was making, it was this is progress. This, I've never felt this kind of pain. But if I ever want to be able to use my arm again, this is what I have to go through. So those are some examples for me what I've gone through, what I continue to go through. Um, in Hebrews 11, right before chapter 12, we have some examples of what Old Testament saints experienced as their discipline, as what they um, went through in order to be shaped. It talks about things like being tortured, whipped, mocked, imprisoned, even sawn in two, destitute and homeless. It's a little different setup for us these days. But like I said before, just because we don't have that huge trial, that huge hardship, doesn't mean that we don't also share in the discipline. Doesn't mean that we're not also being conformed. So just because our situation does not look like our neighbor's doesn't mean that it should look like our neighbor's because our discipline is specific for us, for what we're going through for our situation. A couple of other examples I want to point out of God's discipline happening in people's lives in Scripture. Second Samuel chapter seven verses twelve through fifteen talks about David's future son, who he hadn't had yet, his name's Solomon. Talks about in the future when he sins, how God will respond. Second Samuel seven, chapter twelve through fifteen. When your days are fulfilled, this is God talking to to David here. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Then he says, I will be a father, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, or when he sins, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. God's already talking about what he's going to use to bring discipline in his life when he needs it. He says, but my steadfast love will not depart from him. Such a great combination there. It is because I love him, I will use these circumstances to grow him and to shape him. Another great example is in Paul's life in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 6-10. through It's about Paul's thorn in the flesh and the purpose behind that thorn. Verse 6 says, Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. Then in verse 7 he says, so to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, so he says, I know a lot, but in order to keep me from boasting about what I know, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. I've been given something in my life to prevent me from further sin, from Um, from further um, uh, boasting in my own ability. God has given me this. He says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul says, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He says, for the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. When I experience these things, it leads me to further fellowship with him, to further trusting him and not trusting myself, not trusting in what I know or what I have to offer. Uh, One other place I wanted to reference is uh, Deuteronomy 8, verses 1 through 5. Um, This is Moses as he's about to um, to die. He's speaking to the Israelites before they go into the promised land. Um, And he's, he's recapping a lot of what was already told to them at the beginning of Exodus, because at the beginning of Exodus, all these people who were hearing this were kids. Because the Israelites that were older were not allowed to go into the promised land because of their Uh, their stubbornness because of their choosing not to trust God. So now Moses is essentially recapping what he's already told all these folks, grandparents and moms and dads, because they've passed away. These kids were just kids. These adults were just kids when they heard this. So Moses goes back and he says, all right, listen up, before you go into the promised land, I need to remind you of something. Deuteronomy 8, 1 through 5, the whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do. That you may live and multiply, and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you, and he let you hunger, and he fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone. It says, I gave you this difficult circumstance to increase your knowledge of who I am and of who you're not, just for the sake of knowledge. You didn't deserve to be hungry. You needed to be hungry, to know me more, to trust me more. Um. He says, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these 40 years. I'd be surprised by that. He says, know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. For the sake of teaching them, he brought these circumstances. There's so many more possibilities in our lives for God to use to bring about discipline and growth and training in our lives. Um, I, would, I would fail to try to accomplish, uh, to encompass them all. Um, but I think the important thing for us to understand is what, is what is the scope in my life of everything that I'm going through? Are there some things that are for my discipline and some things that are just, that just, are just happening on the side? A great place for us to go to 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 understand the scope is uh, a verse that many of us are familiar with and many of us have gone to before, um, in times of difficulties, uh, and it's simply Romans eight, chapter uh, verse twenty eight. Says we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. I think we can agree that all things encompasses. Everything, right? The scope of what we're experiencing, all of it, God is using. There's not a portion of it that uh, happens on the side outside of His sovereignty, outside of His goodness towards us and shaping us. All of it works together for our good, from the smallest to the largest, from the most to the least impactful in our lives. He uses it all for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. I didn't bring it with me today, but uh, at home, we have a little box uh, in our living room. We call it our faith box. And inside of there, there are uh, several little pieces of paper that you can pull out. And each one has a situation that uh, or um, something that happened in our family's lives. It's a great place for us to go to when we want to be able to reference back the things that God has done to prove his faithfulness to us. And I'm sure many of you have ways that you do that as well, traditions that you have kind of keep those memories ongoing. But I would encourage you to have a way that you collect those um kind of those moments in time for you personally um, for your family for your kids if you if you have kids as well um, It's a great way to just go back and to think to try to think of everything that had to happen that had to come together for that one thing to happen. It will blow your mind, but that is all things happening that is god and and how big he is and how intricate and detailed he is. He, he uses all things. Um, all right, so how are we to receive this discipline? Um, we endure the discipline of God as dearly beloved children, as dearly beloved children. Uh, the end of verse 7 says, God is treating you as sons or uh, another way to um, to see it is God deals with you excuse me as sons. Um so I want to speak for a moment about the identity struggle in our culture. Um this is such a great reminder this this verse of who you are. It says God is treating you as sons, as his children. Um the world around us today seeks to put labels on each of us um, to say, this is who you are. This, this I will determine who you are. Um, there may be folks that, came, that come in here this morning, and because this is a group of, of Christians, um, they would use words like, um, you are, you're all judgmental. You're all self-righteous. You're all hypocritical. You're all privileged. You're all exclusive people. Um, And then they'd tell you, they'd say, here's who you should want to be. And they'd use words like, uh, you should be more open-minded. You should be tolerant. Um, You should be free-thinking and lenient, is what they would say. Uh, For our men in here this morning, our culture would say, you need to come across as if you're holding it all together. You don't need to show any signs of weakness to other people. You need to make people respect you. Our culture would say to our women in here, you need to be successful. You need to be independent. You need to be strong-willed. And you need to be desirable. God says, No, I'll tell you who you are. He says, You're my child, and I am your father. That's it, it's done. The only thing left is for us to come to terms with that reality. It's not about how we feel or what we need to prove to the people around us. There's so many empty pursuits in life that we could choose. God's the one who's holding it together. He says, you are weak, but I am strong. He says, I'm the one To be respected. I will define what success is. You are completely dependent on me. And I am the one to be desired. As the faithful father he is, he seeks to grow us up in the knowledge of who he is and of who we really are. It's such a powerful text for us to walk away with, to hold on to, and to say, I don't care what the culture says I should be. This is who my father says I am. I am his child. That is who I am. Um, So we endure the discipline of God as his dearly beloved children. Um, That discipline from the father brings comfort to his children. brings comfort to his children. Says, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? It's another one of those rhetorical questions. He's not really looking for an answer, because the answer is there isn't one. He says, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? There isn't a son who the father, who their father does not discipline. Um. Says. If we were to turn that question into a statement, it would read, there is no son whom his father does not discipline, or the son is disciplined by the father. Now, we have worldly fatherly relationships that get broken down in this way, right? So for context here, we're talking about a good, faithful father, his responsibility that he takes on. That means that he disciplines his children, right? Um, God takes on his responsibility in here. He says, I am your father, and because you're my child, as a faithful father, I will discipline you. I will conform you. I will shape you and mold you and teach you. This means that the evidence of God's discipline in our lives serves as a reminder to us of the incredible relationship we enjoy as the children of God, bringing comfort to us as children of God. When I am going through this situation, I am so quick to go to why, to go to how. I'm so slow to go to thank you for being a faithful father. Thank you for making me your child. That's what I want to, 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 to recondition myself to, is to that response. The evidence of this in my life should be, bring comfort to me as a reminder. I put woven into every difficult situation, hardship, trial is the reminder of how God cares for us we're so quick to say, because I'm experiencing this, you don't care. And he says, it is because you're experiencing this that I do care. Um, Don't miss the bigger picture here either of understanding more fully the Father disciplines the Son, which is why the author of Hebrews calls us to remember the discipline that the Son of God experienced. Um, So earlier in chapter 12, verses 2 through 3, says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So the question is, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Not even the Son of God. Even He experienced persecution and trials and hardships. What a great reminder to us when we're experiencing that, that we, like Jesus, like the Son of God, are being treated as sons and daughters by God the Father. Which leads to the next point. Discipline from the Father belongs to His children. Verse 8 says, if you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. So another way of thinking about this is, if you're outside of the comforting experience of God's discipline, then you're not his child. If you are outside of his discipline, then you're illegitimate. You're not his son. Because all have participated, and all means all, all of us, all of his children have participated. The discipline of the father comes with the territory of being one of his children. They're inseparable. If you're his child, then you will experience his discipline. Every other child of his has experienced it. Why wouldn't you? If I think about this from a worldly perspective with my kids, imagine one of them coming up to me and saying, you don't have to teach me anything else. I'm good. You don't have to uh, to train me up. You don't have to tell me how to do anything else. I'm good. I would discipline that child more. I would train them and instruct them more, right? There's still a lot more for you to learn. So for us to say, I don't need this, I don't want this, we're saying, in essence, I also don't want to be a child of yours. Um, Romans 8, Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 18, uh, gives us an understanding of this as well. Think about it in terms of an if-then statement, so if, this, then, that. Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 18 We suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Provided uh, defined as also sense or seeing that. Since we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. It's a given that as children of God, we will suffer. We'll experience hard situations in life, but not just for the sake of suffering but that we may also be glorified with Christ. I want to touch on, just briefly, um, a false understanding that I began to recognize in myself about this. And it goes back to that idea of, uh, how can I get out of being disciplined, of experiencing hard times? Um, I got to the point where I was trying to think, like the example with my kids, If I can just jump ahead of what God's going to try to teach me, then he won't have to bring hard times into my life, right? Or if I can be where I'm supposed to be in terms of being sanctified, God won't have to condition or teach me or conform me. There are three lies connected with that type of understanding. The first lie is that I'm saying I trust my own assessment of my spiritual state more than I trust God's ability to know me fully and to know what's best for me. I'm saying, God, I know the depths of my own heart. I know what I need. I can be my own doctor and prescribe to me what I need. You, you don't have to step in. I know me better than you know me, which is not true. There are things that I will um, be tempted by or that I will be led into, that I don't know yet that I can't fathom yet into the future but there's also things right now going on in me that I that I I have a hard time wrapping my my understanding around. God doesn't struggle with that. He knows in the future and right now. He is the better doctor to prescribe what I need. The other lie uh is that I'm also indirectly saying that I don't want to be a child of God. It says Um, Like we looked at before, uh, if you're left without discipline in which you've all participated, you're illegitimate children and not sons. Uh, His discipline is proof of his fatherly connection to me. And it's proof of my adoption as his child. So when I'm saying I don't want that proof, I'm saying I don't want to be your child. I'm saying I don't want to be in this relationship that you have for me. I want to be outside of the discipline that you have for me is the other lie that I'm wrestling around with or being, being tempted to believe in. And then lastly, I'm also saying that I'm more, I'm more fearful of how my worldly, tangible surroundings will be impacted than I am longing for what's to be gained spiritually. What I'm saying is, keep my life the way that it is. Don't bring anything into it that would disrupt it. The way I have it set up is the way it needs to stay, and I'm not willing to sacrifice any of it for you to turn me into Christ, to to be conformed into his image. And from a, a, a worldly perspective, too, I'm saying I don't want... Christ to come yet, right? We talked about this in Revelation. I like it the way I've set it up. I don't want you to change it. It's more valuable to me than being conformed into his image. It's more valuable to me than his return is what I'm saying. So that fear of losing this setup that I have becomes greater than my desire to be grown into Christ likeness. Um, So the father brings comfort to his children. Um, Discipline belongs to his children. Uh, And then next, endure the discipline of God as children of the greatest father. It says, besides this, in verse 9, besides this, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. As the author of Hebrews has done in earlier chapters of comparing and contrasting, he does the same thing here with earthly fathers and our heavenly father. We've had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and then he says, and we respected them. To this point in the text, we've only seen um, how the father relates to the child. The father brings the discipline, the training, the instruction to the child. But now we see that uh, relationship completed by the respect that we have for our earthly fathers. They did what they were supposed to do as good fathers, and we respected them for it. I put in my notes here, not all of us have enjoyed the blessing of a faithful, caring, present father, earthly father. Uh, But God has been faithful to provide for us present and caring mothers, aunts, uncles, grandparents, other men and women who have shaped us and disciplined us, Um, And it reminds me of the example of Timothy's mother and grandmother um, in 2 Timothy 1.5. It says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, talking to Timothy, of faith that dwelt first in your grandmother and in your mother, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. So while This text specifically talks about fathers and sons. Many of us have had faithful mothers, aunts, uncles, uh, grandparents, other men and women who have stepped into that role as an earthly father in a sense. And we respect them for how they've grown us and shaped us, how they've trained us up. So while we respect our earthly fathers uh, for, for disciplining us, The discipline from the Father is far more valuable. Far more valuable. It says, Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? Those of us who've enjoyed the presence of a faithful, loving parenting figure, uh, you've come to respect, um, you realize that they did the best that they knew how to do in raising you. Um, And I think we'd agree, all the parents in here this morning want their kids to love them and trust them and one day look back on thankful memories of how they shaped them, of how they they brought that discipline into their lives. Uh, But none of us here can compare to the ability of God to be the greatest parent to us, to be the greatest father to us. The, um, The last part of that verse, and live, is, uh can be translated as to breathe um, or to be among the living or to enjoy real life. Um, and I can tell you right now that Jen and I can do a lot for our kids, but our discipline does not make them feel like they can live real life. Our discipline towards them does not make them feel like, I can breathe, right? That's the promise of what God's discipline, his sanctifying uh, power in our life does for us. It does free us so that we can breathe, so that we can enjoy life. That's the power of his discipline. He is the greatest father that we have. Uh, this is an amazing promise that's connected to being subject to God's discipline, this and live. This is already from a an earthly perspective this is something we can already enjoy here and now. This purifying effect that this discipline has on us. Um, next is that discipline from the Father is for our good. For our good. It says, for they, talking about earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good. There's some sobering reminders here for us as parents of children, um, even as husbands and wives, as friends, as co-workers, that we are all limited in our efforts by time, and we're limited by our sinful perspectives that we have. They disciplined us for a, a short period of time and as seemed best to them. And my ability to be a faithful father, faithful husband, I am limited by time, and I'm limited by my own sinful perspective. Two things that our Heavenly Father is not limited by. He does not get hurried in His effort to sanctify you. He does not have to filter His efforts through, is this what's best for them? He is free from those constraints on his discipline for us, and I don't know about you, but that just makes me feel so comforted to know that, because I have been in a situation where I have fathered, or where I've been a husband who has interacted in a hurry, in a rush. I don't know what's best right now. I don't have time to think about it. Here's my response, and I can promise you that wasn't the best one. God is not limited by time. He's not limited by a sinful perspective, to discipline us, um, you can go to uh, Romans eight twenty eight again. Um, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For good, like my good, it's not for um, for being better. It's not for being um, uh, you know just uh, slightly grown and and um, you know fair. It's for good that's that's a, um, um, a a promise that no matter what it is, it's for good. I um, wanted to mention the example of Joseph's life as well. Um, all the things that he experienced going through his life from his brothers, um, from Potiphar's wife, um, all the years of prison that he went through. Um, and still when his brothers returned um after their father had died, they were very fearful because they felt like Joseph's connection with his dad is what um allow is what kept Joseph from also loving and taking care of them as well. So they show up to Joseph and they're like, Look, we know dad's dead. Please forgive us for what we've done to you. Please don't um don't be mean to us. We know you're very powerful in the position that you're in. And this is Joseph's response. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. He took your evil and your sin. He took your hatred towards me, He took your envy, and he used it. He hijacked it. He hijacked it for our good. He says, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. That's the power of our Father, who is the best Father that we can have. Um, The false perspective that I think we sometimes fall into around this is this kind of, uh, if you're familiar with Winnie the Pooh and Eeyore, um, and Eeyore's personality is just kind of a, this is just me. Like, this is what I have to deal with, and there's really no purpose in it. It's just... This is my identity. I suffer through things. Or if you think about uh, sadness from uh, inside out, right? Just sad. I mean, that's just my identity. Um, So think about how sometimes we choose that perspective when it comes to trials and sufferings in our life. We say, this is my cross to bear. Maybe God will remove it, but probably not. This is just what's going on. But that's completely false. There is there are there's a, an infinite amount of purpose placed on our trials and our sufferings that we go through it is something to to endure in a joyful way right to to look forward to how it will shape me and conform me not something that i just kind of say at some point this will be over with and i'll look forward to that but probably be a long time right but i think we get into this mindset of just pointless suffering that God's placed on our lives um kind of the last point here uh, endure the discipline of God as those being sanctified um so kind of uh going back to verse 10 for they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them but he disciplines for our good and our good is that we may share his holiness For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So now the connection is made between our good and sharing in his holiness. Our ultimate good is our sanctification, our growing into the image of Christ. This requires us to have a perspective of long-term gain over short-term pain. So what we're experiencing right now on a short-term basis is not more valuable than the long-term gain that this experience will produce in me. Uh, It says, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. I think with everything that we've seen about discipline Uh, Discipline is still painful. Those trials and those sufferings are still hard to go through. It's very comforting for us to know that we have a Savior who can sympathize with our pain. Now, if you go to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 8, it says, Now, in putting everything in subjection to Him, He left nothing outside of His control. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That's why he's not ashamed to call them brothers. Because we share in that experience with him. He can sympathize with us. He has gone through it. Discipline is painful. But we have a Savior who knows, who has experienced that pain. In, in ways that we haven't and in ways that we never will. His experience goes well beyond our own pain. So it's not as if we should endure with this stone-faced, this is what I have to go through. It is painful and it is hard. There are moments through tears and agony and grief that we come to God and we say, I trust you. I know you're working through this. Jesus himself has experienced that pain and that suffering. That hardship. This um, speaks to, I think, the perspective that we have where we take on this mindset that we're just trying to make it through to the other side unscathed, right? This is going through right now. I just want to be who I am on the other side of this. And God is saying, I want you to be everything but who you are right now on the other side of this. That is why I have brought this. Is to conform you, and we hunker down, and we try to say, "What? How can I make it through this in my own protective way, my own fearful way?" To where I'm not changed on the other side, and God is saying, "I have brought this to change you, to teach you, to 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 conform you." Um, got a quote from. John MacArthur says, we rejoice that one day we will live together with Him, but we should also rejoice that we can live like Him right now. That's what God uses discipline for, is to shape us into living like Him now. That's why I feel like there's such a connection for us between longing for His return, but also seeking to Display his likeness now. To be him to others now until he returns. Um, I wanted to uh, just read kind of over you for a second this passage. Um, it's the beginning of John. Uh, it's John chapter 1, verses 1 through 13. So if you just want to just kind of you can close your eyes as you listen, um Um, Or if if it's easier for you to follow along while you're reading, you can do that too. Um, I wanted to read this this over us this morning. It's John chapter 1, and it starts off. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We've been given a right to be called children of God. A right that's only made possible because of the work of Jesus. He is the one who has allowed us and has made a way for us to enjoy relationship with God as our father. My prayer is that when we leave here today and as we start to to look into our lives and start to pick out where's, where's that discipline happening, that we give thanks to God, that we can be children of His. And it's only because of Christ, it's only because of Jesus that we're able to have that right as children. Um, our application for today... Seek to recognize God's discipline in your life. Just kind of a simple exercise. How is God shaping me? What is he using in my life to shape me? And secondly, adjust any wrong perspectives you have towards his discipline. We talked about a couple of wrong perspectives that we sometimes jump to. What of those perspectives need to be changed based on what we've seen here today? And then third, this is kind of a bold application here, so be careful what you ask for, right? Pray for his loving discipline to increase in your life. The same way that we long for Christ's return, let's long to be transformed and conformed into his image more fully through increased discipline in our lives. Now that we have an understanding of what that discipline is, that it's good for us, helpful for us. Um, I'll just mention the family worship questions. The first one is discuss the purpose of God's discipline in our lives. So with your kids, what's the purpose of God's discipline in our lives? What's what's God doing with that discipline? And then as you're talking together as a family, parallel God's purpose with the discipline that your children receive from you. What are the parallels between how God disciplines and his purpose to how we as parents discipline our kids to help them understand more fully as a child of God, how God the Father shapes us and teaches us. All right. Um, I'm going to pray for us and uh, Tyson's going to come up and um, and lead us in worship. Father, we're so thankful to you this morning for your word, for the book of Hebrews. Um, so thankful that the promises that we've um, looked at today are promises that if trusted in, will change our behavior, will change the way that we uh, see our difficult circumstances and our sufferings. Um, I pray that we would all be filled with thankfulness as we think on what we're going through, those hardships. I pray that we'd be filled with thankfulness, knowing that it is evidence that we are your children, that you are working for our good, that you are conforming us, that you are allowing us to share in your holiness through that discipline in our lives. What great and powerful promises you have for us to lean on, to trust on. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for um, our time together this morning. pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.